This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 13, comic reviews for the week of September 26th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 13 as we're looking at the comics that were reviewed, sorry, that were released on uh, September the 26th. Uh, we're actually recording this episode on October the 2nd, so we're just on the eve of uh, the release of Avengers vs. X-Men number 12, uh, which will be in our in next on our next review episode, episode number 15, which will hopefully be released uh, the weekend following the release of Avengers vs. X-Men number 12. So we got a lot of comics that came out this past week. Unfortunately, I uh, just did not have the ability at the time to read everything, because there was, like I think, over 40 books that could have been reviewed for this episode. Um, so we got about 20, 24 comics that we're still going to talk about, but I'm going to try and be relatively brief because there's so much to get through. Uh, the first comic we're going to take a look at is Amazing Spider-Man 694. Uh, so this is the end of the Alpha arc, which, to be honest with you, I have not been a big fan of. Uh, I really liked the Lizard arc before, but the Alpha arc is... It hasn't really been one that I've been all that interested in. I do like the cover, though. It's an homage to the Superman vs. Spider-Man uh, crossover uh, from the olden days, <laughs> back when DC and Marvel used to do things together. Uh, so it's a cool-looking cover. Uh, you got uh, Slot and Ramos are the uh, the creative team. Uh, Slot doesn't do a bad. It's not a bad job on it. I just feel it's one of those stories where uh, you have a, a great villain, Terminus, who's very you know difficult uh, villain for people to handle, and yet Alpha takes him out off panel, but pretty easily. It kind of reminds me of the Squirrel Girl syndrome. Uh, that being said, I, I kind of liked how. The story kind of ended in a way I didn't I wouldn't have expected with uh, the Alpha Power kind of being siphoned off of Alpha, but uh, I what I like more than the Alpha storyline was how you have Spider-Man saving um, uh, Jay Jameson and uh, Aunt May, uh, and that was pretty awesome. It was, it was a very classic kind of Spider-Man thing to do, uh, and also like they had uh, Mayor Jameson thanking. Uh, Thanking the uh, Spider-Man for saving his dad, uh, so there's some good stuff in this issue, just not stuff with Alpha directly. Uh, not a bad kind of end to it. I like that the idea is that you know Alpha's still kind of out there, but he'll eventually get some of the power back over time. It was an interesting way to end the storyline without totally shutting the door on the idea of Alpha completely. Um, so I, I gave the issue seven out of ten. I'm more looking forward to next issue because we've got the Hobgoblin. And I'm really excited to see what happens with two different Hobgoblins facing off. So that could be really, really cool. Uh, next up is uh, Old Star Western. Uh, I'm not really much of a fan of Jonah Hex. I don't know much about the character, to be honest with you. Um, I've read it a little bit here and there. So this is by uh, Graham Palmiotti writing, because, uh, you know, they really have a passion for uh, Jonah Hex. Uh, and this was actually a really good story because it made use of it being a zero issue. Uh, and, and, and it was really, this was the origin of Jonah Hex. I don't know much about the character, but I like this version of the, the origin. I don't know if it's ever been definitively done in a different way, but it was an interesting way of kind of explaining the way he is, his, his backstory. Uh, it jumped around a lot, but I thought that made a lot of sense. It was an interesting way to kind of look at the different phases of his life as he became who he would eventually end up being. Uh, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I gave this one a 7 out of 10. Uh, the artwork by... Uh, I guess Moratot uh, was actually pretty good. It was kind of rough at times, but it, it fit the time period, so I didn't really mind. Uh, if it had been in a 
like more of a modern story, I think it would, would have bothered me more. But it really, it kind of fit the time period. It was a little scratchy, but it didn't feel out of place. Uh, the script was actually quite strong. Um, just really engaging. I, again, I, it probably helps. I don't know anything about Jonah Hex, so I found it all the more interesting to see how his life was kind of structured and how how it worked. And it's kind of it was kind of sad in some ways. So actually, it was quite enjoyable. I give that a seven out of ten. Next up is Aquaman number zero. Uh, I've only recently kind of caught up with all of Aquaman and, and actually having read. Uh, I, I believe every issue of the since New Fifty Two now uh, really enjoyed the zero issue. It was really strong. There's still some questions that are open uh, that are open for interpretation, but it's an interesting way of looking at. You know, this is Arthur Curry, uh, kind of reflecting on the death of his father and trying to wondering who's his mom and finding out more about who he is and what he could be, um, what his lineage is. It's an interesting backstory. Um, and you learn more about his mother and more about Atlantis. And it's got an interesting place where it ends when he first kind of gets he finds Atlantis. Um, really, really strong. Jeff Johns he knows how to write Aquaman. And Ivan Reyes is a, a spectacular penciler. And he there's so much... This is a really, a, a really cool coming-of-age story of someone who doesn't know their true identity. He only knows half of it. And then on the death of his father, he sets out to discover more about who he is, who his mother was, and what that makes him. Uh, really engaging from start to finish. A great use of the zero one, oh, sorry, of the zero issue to tell a really effective origin uh, in context of the new 52. Just brilliant. Uh, gave this an, I gave it an 8 out of 10 originally. You know, maybe I'll be, I'm actually going to upgrade that to a 9. I really enjoyed this. It was a really good book. Uh, next up is Astonishing X-Men 54. Did not expect to enjoy this nearly as much as I did. It was actually a really strong story. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I like Madripoor. I like the characters that are here. Um, I really like the way Gambit's written here. I, it's nice to see Cecilia Reyes, and she's written in an interesting way. Karma, she doesn't do much that's all that interesting, so I don't really care. Uh, the ending is pretty cool. Um, you got something happens to Iceman. This is just a lot of fun. I'm really like the interaction between Iceman and Northstar is really, really strong. I love Warbird. Uh, Cecilia Reyes is really strong. This this really surprises me month in and month out because I don't expect to enjoy it, <laughs> even though I've enjoyed the last few issues. Um, Mercury Lou has done a really good job. Mike Perkins, brilliant artwork, like really looks strong. This is a really good X Men book. It it's weird because it doesn't really feel like it belongs anywhere. Like it's kind of that weird bastard X book. Well, kind of just like X Men actually, where they don't really tie into any of the crossovers. We're not even sure if they're going to be continuing much longer. They're just kind of there, uh, but they're really this one. I don't find X Men all that enjoyable, but Astonishing X Men I find really engaging. Uh, it's not by any means a mainstream X book in a lot of ways because it feels almost like it's its own continuity, but it tells good stories. I like the characters that it's spotlighting. Um, it's just a really fun, really interesting book. I'm, I really like the art by Perkins too. It really sets the tone for the uh, um, just the type of story he wants to tell. Really, really enjoyable. Gave this an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Batman Dark Knight number zero. Uh, Dark Knight, not really sure how I feel about it as a book sometimes. The artwork is not nearly as interest, uh, as good as I know Daniel can, sorry, not Daniel, uh, Miko Swayan. I, I think his artwork can be better than this, and this is not his best. Uh, the stories by Greg Hurwitz, sorry, Hurwitz, not Hurwitz. Uh, an interesting coming-of-age story for Bruce Wayne, what it's like when he 
there's a lot of things you just have to kind of take for granted, or not take for granted. You have to just kind of accept that it's a comic book, and some things, uh, it's not always as believable as you'd, as you'd like. Uh, there's certain coincidences here, but it's an interesting story of Bruce Wayne being a detective uh, and, and growing up and really wanting to know who killed his parents and why and what was the conspiracy behind it and him seeing all these trails, all these things that could have been why they were killed. And when he finally comes face-to-face with Joe Chill, it's really, really sad because it wasn't a plan. There was It was just a guy... It, it wasn't... It wasn't the, the conspiracy he thought it was. He thought that Joe Chill was a gunman, an assassin, but really, it was just a guy who needed money for more alcohol, and that's all it ever was. It's a, it's a sad story, and it's but it's really interesting in that, you know, for especially he is the master detective, and this is kind of his first major detective case where trying he he wanted to believe that there was a reason why his parents died, and I think that that rings true. I think if your if your parents were gunned down in front of you. You'd want to believe that there was a reason that that happened, and it wasn't just some drunk needing money. And in here, it is just a drunk needing money and just needing pearls, and never even got those pearls. And it's just this sad, really sad story of this is why he lost his parents, and having him come to that realization that this is why, like it wasn't this big grand conspiracy, and it was just a guy needing alcohol. It's it, it cuts deep. It was really a really strong story. I really liked it. Given eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Batman Incorporated number zero. Didn't really like this whole lot much, and it wasn't because of Morrison. It was because I'm not a big fan of Fraser Irving. Uh, I found the artwork extremely uh, just boring. I it kind of reminded me of uh, now, now I forget his name. Uh, damn it, I don't remember. Uh, there's a an artist who was doing Flash a few years ago, and he had uh, back when it was Wally was after Bart died. Uh, I can't even think of the artist's name at all. But the artwork was very... It was kind of lifeless. And I feel that way kind of here. I feel like there's some interesting attempts at making the artwork kind of pop, but it's got an odd color set, and I just didn't really like how it looked. I'm not a huge fan of the Batman Incorporated concept, so seeing a lot of these characters, um, kind of seeing the origin of, of how Batman Incorporated kind of ended up working and how it kind of brought everyone together, it's kind of neat, but I didn't really really like it all that much. I do think that Morrison did a better job on it than the artist did. Uh, Irving's artwork did not work for me at all. In fact, it turned me off and I found it, it made the it made the whole thing look kind of boring and, and lifeless. And that did not work for me. So I gave that, I gave it a 6 out of 10. So that, that, that does tell you that it was written much better than the artwork gave it any credit to being. Uh, next up is Deadpool number 61. Uh, I didn't really enjoy this all that much. I like Deadpool. I've been really enjoying this book recently. Uh, not a big fan of where the story was going. I don't. I don't know anything about Hit Monkey. I don't care for him. Uh, it was an interesting story about. I, I did like the part about you know in the past this uh, this this kind of the CIA op gone bad and this woman wanting revenge on Deadpool because of the way of uh, how it crippled her. That's kind of interesting, but using Hit Monkey not interesting. Uh, it just felt like this was nowhere near as strong as the last couple issues, which were really funny, but really portraying Deadpool in a different way um, because he has this new limitation that he can actually die. This I didn't find all that good. Uh, I gave it actually, I gave it a six and a half out of ten. So I, maybe I, I'm giving it, I gave it more credit than I, 
uh, when I get when I originally assign the rating, which is right, I for all of these, I come up with the rating right after I read the book. And then I, when I do this episode, it's after I've read everything. So I have to kind of familiarize myself and remember, why did I like this? And I'm not exactly sure why I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Because looking at it now, I'm kind of like, well, I wasn't a huge fan. So why didn't it get a lower rating? But I guess I gave it more credit originally when I reviewed, when I gave it the uh, actual number. Next up is FF number 22. I gave this a 9 out of 10. Uh, actually, sorry, I apologize. I don't think I actually... Uh, went by who actually was uh, responsible for the Deadpool issue. Uh, you got Daniel Way and then Garza on, on our work. So then we've got FF number 22, Hickman writing. I really adored this. Gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting sidebar. To, I, I thought it was going to be more of a two-parter with the last issue, but it didn't end up feeling that way. It was kind of an interesting perspective instead. Uh, art by, uh, I guess, Arahu. Um, I apologize if I got that wrong. It's Andre Aro or A R A U J O. So I apologize for massacring that. Um, the artwork I actually really enjoyed. It's very simple, but it really helped tell the story quite well. It was an interesting way of kind of showing that wow, last the issue of Fantastic Four with uh, them in the Wizard and uh, in Aim was happening. You also had Bentley twenty three and uh, Valeria traveling to uh, the I guess Aim Island was it was. Uh, to kind of do what they wanted to do, which is uh, Bentley wants to see uh, the wizard. So it was a really interesting um, way of having Bentley kind of confront this person that he could have been, or he could be, but he's not. Um, the last couple pages, there's an, uh, the last two pages are an amazing... I absolutely love uh, Bentley's relationship with Valeria. I'm not exactly sure how old uh, Bentley is, though. Um, but it's an awesome moment where you have them on the top of the building and um, they're kind of getting close to each other and they're kind of touching, they're holding hands and Valeria goes, you know, you were awesome in there. Bentley's like, thanks. And he's like, I think I love you. And she's like, I'm three years old. And he's like, don't ruin this for me. And she's like, okay. And they're just standing there holding hands. And it was one of my favorite last pages I've read in a, in a comic recently. I absolutely love the way that Valeria's written. She's one of my favorite characters because of Hickman and the way he is has taken her character and her relationship with Bentley is surprisingly sweet and deep and it's been something that has been pr- progressed over time just such a great relationship um, great book from start to finish a lot of fun 9 out of 10 next is uh, Flash number 0 it, this was okay it did feel it was nice to have a proper origin of Barry in the new 52 to see how he becomes Flash and I do think it's important because there's a lot of people who don't know a lot about Barry because he was dead for so long. Uh, I enjoyed this. As I said, I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. It wasn't the best. I did like the artwork. I, it was an interesting way of showing what happened to Barry after he was hit by uh, the lightning that gave him the powers, how he kind of adjusted to it, um, why he ended up coming up with, how he came up with the, the costume. I don't understand why DC's making a big deal about Daniel West. Uh, obviously, the fact that they made such a big deal is either going to be a relation to Wally West or to, um, uh, sorry, I, uh, Iris West. But a very good origin story for, for Barry Allen, why he is the way he is, how he kind of became the Flash. I actually quite enjoyed it. 7.5 out of 10. Artwork is brilliant. Um, there's just something so great about Francis Manipal's artwork. Uh, it's so fluid. It's a great... Uh, marriage of 
both plotting and scripting and artwork because he's doing it all uh, with uh, Brian Bucciolato, who's his, uh, I believe his colorist. I feel embarrassed for not really knowing this actually right now. Um, just look at my issue. Uh, where are the credits? Be helpful if I could find the credits when I need them. Um, and also, I, I like the cover too. I mean, a lot of these covers are kind of drab. Um, but uh, actually, as my wife said, that she kind of thought, you know, the, when you actually get up close to it, it's cool because you can see kind of what's going on in this image and he's what he's bursting forward from. Uh, but when you kind of look at it from far, this this isn't immediately evident, so you don't really notice all of that. Um, let's see, I'm just looking for uh, just beautiful art. The panel work, especially when he creates the costume and he seals the different panels and they're all coming together. Really, really cool look. Like. Uh, just all the little panels. It's just such detail. Really, really enjoyable. Um, I guess yeah. I guess yeah. Brian Bucciolato does the colors, and he's also co-writing. Beautiful artwork. Uh, actually, I looking at the issue again in front of me. I have to rescind my original uh, rating, which was seven and a half. I'm gonna give this an eight and a half out of ten. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I gave it credit for. I think uh, part of it is the artwork. The story is relatively basic, but the artwork is pretty damn awesome. Uh, next up is Gambit number three. This was a major letdown because the first two issues were really strong. This one did not work for me nearly as well. Uh, the artwork by Clay Mann looks looks great. The writing is all right. Uh, I just didn't find the storyline nearly as, in, as engaging or interesting. Um, this felt less like a Gambit book that I really cared about. The first few issues were a lot more interesting. I gave this one a 6 out of 10. Um, next up is Happy number one. Really didn't know what to make of this. Uh... Give it a 6 out of 10 because I'm not really sure how I feel. And I feel like this is really just a, kind of like a prologue, so it's hard to tell what I really feel about it. Grant Morrison wrote it. It's by Derek Robertson, did the art. Um, I believe this is by... Is it published through Image? Yeah, it's published through Image. Uh, it's kind of... It's weird to see Morrison kind of doing like a crime noir kind of thing. And I'm not really sure if it works. Don't... It really... It's kind of a basic kind of story until you got these weird blue feathers and then you realize, okay, well, I am reading a Morrison book because it's pretty messed up. You have this this weird, what is it, like a like a blue unicorn almost? Like I'm not even sure exactly what that is. Oh, sorry, it's Happy the Horse, but he has like a like wings and he's got like a unicorn. Um, oh, you know, unicorns have the, the pointy thing. Wow, I'm really losing my words. Um... It's just weird because you got Happy the Talking Horse. I feel like it's hard to really rate this issue properly. It's part one of four, so I do like it's a finite series. But this just felt like a lot of setup to actually getting to Happy. And I'm not really sure where it'll go from here. I gave it a 6 out of 10. Um, I believe that's what it said. Originally, I was going to give it a 7. I think I'm going to give it a 6. Next up is Incredible Hulk number 14. This felt like a major letdown. The last issue was brilliant. I just thought everything about it was great. Uh, this felt like a major letdown. Uh, Jason Aaron is still writing. Uh, I guess it's Jeft Palo is our, on art. It's uh, J-E-F-T-E and Palo. Um, artwork's okay. It just felt like the first, like the whole Stay Angry arc was so riveting because you didn't know what Banner was up to and just Hulk was so pissed off and then and, and trying to stay angry. And then you had last issue where you kind of pulled back the curtain and you realized what exactly Banner was up to, which is really cool. And then this issue just felt like a bit of a mess. It's him going to kind of to go take on Doom, or at least the various Doom bots that are plotting against him. I found this nowhere nearly as interesting. Uh, the artwork wasn't nearly as good. 
uh, after the high of last issue, this was a, a major low. Uh, still, still not bad. Just it's been so much better that it was. It felt abrupt, and I feel like it'll be even more abrupt in trade because it's just like you're humming along and everything's really good, and then it's like not nearly as interesting. Uh, six and a half out of ten. Next up is Invincible Iron Man of five twenty-five. So we're almost, almost near the end of this book, uh, and I'm ready for it to be over. That being said, I am appreciating that Fraction is as uh, really kind of bringing everything together. We're getting some really great, like we've had so much build up, and now we're finally getting some cool payoff with Iron Man and his uh, and his associates, kind of taking thing, trying to take control and and fight back against the Mandarin's forces. Really cool stuff. Uh, I like that Mandarin is is still able to kind of jump in and really be violent. And still be able to kind of hold his own against Stain and uh, and Iron Man. Really, really cool stuff. Oh, it's just such a great book. I mean, I'm the artwork. I'm I wish would uh, vary things up a little bit. I wish the the colors were a little bit more vibrant. But at the end of the day, when you read an issue like this, you know it's ending. But it's like it feels like the build up is worth it. And I guess that's what I really want from a book. Uh, I am ready for it to be over because at times it was a little too slow in the build up. But uh, I'm excited to see how it ends. Not really sure I'm going to continue with the book. I mean, I might read it here and there for the reviews, but I'm not really going to be following it as much. Uh, Invincible Iron Man was really strong when it started, faulted in the middle. Uh, by the end of the day, though, I think when you read all the entire run, it'll really feel like a great long-form story. Uh, some of the, especially having Stain be such an important character after having been so awesome in the first arc. I think this is actually one of those long-form stories that reading it episodically, uh, month after month, is probably not the best way to go. And I think I don't appreciate it as much as a result. But I think if you take it more as a chapter in a novel, it's actually much, much better. Uh, so I give this one an 8 out of 10. Next is Journey into Mystery 644. Uh, sorry, Fraction of La Roca on Invincible Iron Man. My bad. Journey to Mystery 644. Uh, this book is almost not over, but th- this storyline is almost over, and uh, and the whole run of Kid Loki being in the book is almost over. Uh, it's hard to tell who's really behind this one because they kind of do dual credits, but it's by uh, Gian and, and Fraction on writing, and then uh, uh, Dij. Wow, I not can't talk today. Uh, D Gia Domenico on artwork. He's one of my favorite favorite illustrators. He's got a masterful way of telling stories uh the uh, i guess the second main page here you got the first page and the second page you have this awesome uh splash panel on the top of this major battle happening and, and all these uh figures fighting and it is just the detail on it is actually exquisite even though it's very small figures uh awesome story i love how uh Domenico illustrates kid loki i love kid loki's adventure i love the him going back in time and making some changes so that he'll help him in the present. Uh, interested to see what happens with um, with Thor uh, in the next installment, which occurs in uh, Mighty Thor, I guess the number 21. Um, really, really cool. Great stuff. I uh, really enjoyed this arc, and I can't wait to see what happens next. So I gave that one uh, actually a 9 out of 10. Really, really strong stuff. Justice League Dark, I haven't really followed this book, but I was excited about a zero issue because I like to see what this book is. Um, that being said, it's a, kind of an early story of uh, this version of Constantine, which I don't know much about, I, um, and his adventures with Satana. Uh, 
an interesting story. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's hard to... Not knowing where these characters really go, I had less of a sense of what this means for the long-term narrative of the book and for these characters, but on its own, which is unfortunately the only way that I can really look at it, because I haven't read the rest of Justice League Dark, I actually, it, it was an interesting story, an interesting origin story uh, with characters I don't really know much about, especially in this New 52 when everything's much different. Uh, Jeff Lemire was the writer, and Lee Garbett was on, uh, on pencils. Uh, pretty enjoyable stuff, 7 out of 10. Next up is Punisher number 16. Uh, oh, I'm so sad that this book is over. Um, I absolutely love this run on Punisher by Greg Rucka. Uh, it was just absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm excited for Punisher Warzone because it's Greg Rucka kind of finishing up with, uh, with Punisher, although I'm not actually sure who's writing, who's uh, doing the illustration. Um, but uh, Marco Chichito is a really good artist. He's a great partner for Greg Rucka on this book. This book, uh, now that it's over, was really not about Frank at all. It was more about Rachel Cole Alves and her story, and she became kind of the female Punisher, and she had to deal with what it was, what what it, what does it do to you uh, when you become that character, and what what happens if you kill someone? What if you kill a cop that you didn't mean to? Um, and it's interesting how she beats herself up, and how she wants herself to kind of get taken down by the police, and it doesn't it doesn't really happen. And at the end of the day, um, Castle won't let her die and she wants to die but he won't he won't let her and he's going to make her live uh and it's an interesting counterpoint because the the character you know first introduced her and her entire like everyone everyone she knows dies and her fiance dies and she you know during her wedding she's lost everything and then frank gives her something to focus on which is revenge she finally achieves her revenge and but at at, just at the same time as her being able to achieve this she kills a cop and this the last little piece of who she was, it kind of destroys her. Because she's like, I killed a cop. I'm a cop killer. I'm, you know, she wants to surrender. She wants to die. She's got nothing left to live for. I mean, she already, she's, she's achieved everything she, she wanted because she thought she only had one thing left in life, which was to have revenge on the person who killed her, her husband-to-be. And that that's over. And, and it's just it's such a sad story. And I'm wondering if we'll ever see that character again. Probably not. But uh, I, I think this is the type of thing I can't wait to have it all in collected form so it's even easier to read. So I can read through the entire journey. Um, it's just exquisite work by Greg Rucka. Um, so sad this book is over. Probably my favorite Punisher story of all time. Um, I really liked Rick Remender's run on Punisher until it became Frankencastle, and then I didn't care. There was nothing like this in this run that made me stop caring. There's been a lot of cool characters like Bolt, uh, Detective Bolt that was in here. Just so much stuff to really sink your teeth into. Punisher was not, never really, he was always in it, but we never got into his head. And I thought that was always much better because we never had to worry. We never got bogged down by what he was thinking and it made him more formidable and kind of mysterious as a character to read about. And you didn't know what he was going to do next. And as the issues progressed and the run progressed, it became evident. This was not a Punisher book at all. This is an, or this is a story about racial coals and I loved it. So I gave this a 9.5 out of 10. Absolutely brilliant. Next up is Secret Avengers number 31. I enjoy this more than I believe it had I had any right to because I'm not a big fan of, big fan of the Descendants storyline or in using it with the Shadow Council. But uh, Remender made this work. Uh, Scalera and Art. Um, Remender wrote a pretty cool... I don't understand the cover because Max Fury did not get to use the, 
the uh, Serpent Crown, or whatever crown this was, but Taskmaster ended up with it, but uh, it's a really cool Venom and Ant-Man story of it's kind of the two against the world, um, trying to figure out how to how to kind of make sure that the Abyss doesn't take over the world, and you got Black Widow uh, trying to do what she can to stop uh, Hawkeye, who's been infected, you also have... Um, uh, Valkyrie is about to take on Venom and Ant-Man in the next issue. Just it was an interesting stuff. I gave it a seven out of ten. It wasn't. I don't really care. The artwork's all right. It wasn't my favorite. I don't care about the Descendants all that much, so it kind of tempered my enjoyment. But overall, I mean, I like the way that Romero writes Venom, and it makes me sad that he's not writing it anymore because Bum, at least for the first arc, really lost me because I don't care about the demonic side of Venom, even though we had that Circle of Four, I guess, a year ago. I didn't care for it then. I didn't don't care for it now. But I like seeing him here because this really feels like Flash. Like in the other book, he doesn't feel like it, it's it's almost like Bun doesn't know how to write Flash as Flash, and he's just kind of writing Venom as someone else. Whereas this feels this is Flash. He's you know an impossible situation, but he's going to do what he can to save his friend, to save you know the world and also to save his uh, his uh, compatriots in the team and his team up with uh, i actually like how him and ant-man get along uh it actually it, i don't know why it actually seems very authentic to me uh next up is superman number zero so we got another zero issue uh this issue did not work as a zero issue uh got lobdell writing it because he's the new writer on superman kenneth rockefort previously of uh, red hood and the outlaws doing the artwork uh not a bad story of kind of the... It was interesting to see how Lubdell wrote... Because we don't really usually, usually get a lot out of Lara, but I like the idea that she's actually quite physically formidable. And then you have Jor-El, who's the science one, and but they're an interesting partnership between them. And it's basically the early days of, you know, when they first kind of realize that something's going to go wrong with Krypton, and Lara finds out she's pregnant... Uh, interesting stuff. The only part that didn't work for me was the the what the fuck moment when suddenly, hey look, Superman's here. Kal-El is somehow on Krypton. Uh, I haven't been following Superman, but as far as I know, I don't think he's time-traveled back to Krypton. It was an odd issue from the beginning because we have first-person narration of Superman talking about his father, and he wasn't there, so how did he know any of this? And then you have him just there in the past. This This felt very jarring. Suddenly, Cal is back in time. We don't know how. Maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, didn't work for me as much. Up till then, I, it was it was not a bad story. I liked, as I said, the different perspective on showing exactly what Lara was like and showing what her and Jor-El were like. And I mean, at the end of the day, there's so many just different conflicting origins of Krypton. Even in just in the zero month that we just got, the the Krypton that we see in Supergirl, Superboy, and Superman all varies a little bit from each other. In different way, in small but in definitely definite ways. So I don't know how I felt with that in general. Uh, seven out of ten. Next up was Talon number zero. I was not expecting to like this. I'm glad that the costume didn't really look as stupid as it did on the cover. Uh, this was co-written, well, I guess, co-plotted by uh, uh, Scott Snyder of Batman fame, but uh, written mostly, uh, scripted by James Tinney and the Fourth, with art by Guillaume March. Which I thought this was much better than his uh, his artwork on um, on Catwoman, and it was actually a pretty interesting story of what why did this guy become one of the you know the potentially the greatest talons? Why did he go off the reservation? Um, and who is he? And it's an interesting. It's very different from 
the other talons we've seen very different from Dick Grayson, who was originally being groomed to be a talon. This guy is 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 also a circus kid, but he's he's an escape artist. Um, he's able to escape, and that kind of he became the stealth talon uh, as as opposed to being an aggressive one. But he also doesn't like to kill, and so one time he killed he killed the talon, and he couldn't forgive himself, and so he. He goes on a mission, and he has to kill a child, and he just can't do it, and he helps them get out. So eventually they uh, you know, they send a town after him, and he's a runner. He's, this guy, is this, basically, Calvin Rose is an escape artist. He's on the run. He's he's a, he's a talon, but he he's always going to be on the run from, from what his destiny was. He's actually much stronger than I thought it was going to be. I'm interested to see... Uh, if he's only ever going to be going up against the towns uh, or the Court of Owls and their different branches of the Court of Owls, or are they going to be going up against something else? But uh, in an intriguing start, a great zero issue, great origin. Um, it is interesting that they really made use of it being a zero issue and not a one issue because you get the origin, but you're not really setting up the story per se. You're getting the idea that he's on the run, but you have nothing else. Whereas in a zero, uh, number one issue, usually it's kind of part one of six, and you're getting more of a sense of where it's going to be going. So I actually really like this as a zero issue. Um, very enjoyable. Eight out of ten. I hope this book does well. I really do. Teen Titans number zero. I uh, was not expecting to like this at all. It was just a pleasant surprise. Gave this a nine out of ten. Um... This issue was written by Scott Lobdell with art by Brett Booth. This is the most un-Brett Booth-like artwork I've ever seen. Uh, first of all, the cover has... You know, I don't even know these characters' names. I've barely been following Teen Titans. I know Red Robin. Don't know the other two that are on here. It doesn't matter because they're not in it. This is an origin story for Tim Drake. It's an interesting kind of retcon. It retcons different things. I'm not so sure how I would feel about all of them. It takes away the fact that Tim Drake knew who Batman was... Here he thinks he does, but it's really just a, a ruse set up by Batman. Instead, they've kind of attributed the idea of him being able to pick it up from facial features, etc. Uh, that's now been attributed to Dick Grayson, as we saw in the Nightwing number zero. Still, uh, Tim Drake is is, um, is is pretty smart kid. He's an Olympic-style athlete. Uh, he wants to know who Batman is. He kind of ends up putting his parents in a, in a really negative situation um, where they have to go into uh, witness protection, but he get, ends up. Batman kind of takes him on and he said, "You can you can be with me, but you're, I won't lose another Robin. You can be my partner." And he's and he ends up taking up the the name of Red Robin. It's an, it's it's definitely an interesting, different way of looking at it. But a lot of it is still Tim being Tim. Like they've changed certain aspects of it for the most part. He's still Tim, um, which is good. Uh, and, and again, I like it was an interesting way of making him still the partner, but um, but he's not Robin; he's Red Robin. Interesting thing that some people picked up on, and I'm not sure what it means, is that at the end of the issue it does say his name is now Tim Drake. Does that mean his last name wasn't actually Drake before, and that his name is Tim, but not his last name? And maybe that's a name for uh, witness protection. I don't know. Uh, I wonder what at what point in the continuity this narration is also coming from. Um, it kind of makes me sad that we're losing the old style pre-New 52 because I like the idea of like his dad and then his dad dying in identity crisis and then him being kind of uh, embraced and adopted by Batman afterwards. Like, is he Tim Wayne now? I don't even know what what he is in the current New 52. I guess not. I guess he's still Tim Drake. But um, for the most part, although these questions are coming up, 
on the whole as an issue uh, in and of itself without looking at the other ramifications, this was quite enjoyable, and I gave this a 9 out of 10. As I said, this is the most unbrett Booth-like his artwork has ever been. Uh, it does not, I would not have thought it was Brett Booth based on the artwork within the issue. Uh, next up is Winter Soldier number 11. Absolutely brilliant book. So sad that Brubaker is leaving it. Uh, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to write Bucky nearly as well. Uh, Butch Guy's doing the artwork here. Uh, and again, it always makes me think that's Lark, but not quite Lark. Uh, really, really great story. You have a Bucky teaming up with Hawkeye. They're trying to find out what happened to Natasha, trying to find her, and they're dealing with uh, the other uh, you know, Winter Soldier-esque uh, operative. It, really, really interesting stuff. Really good street level. This is an espionage book done right, and it makes me that's what makes me upset that Brubaker's leaving because I don't know if the next writer is going to be able to handle it as well. Uh, I am looking forward to next issue because Wolverine's there, and uh, why not? I do like the uh, the cover for next issue, which basically has Bucky kind of on the ground, kind of crouching, shooting, and basically, depending on the perspective of it, it's an odd perspective shot, but it looks like he's kind of hiding behind Wolverine and getting shot up by bullets. And I don't know why, but that makes me laugh like a lot, and I think that <laughs> seems very appropriate. Uh, I gave this one a 9 out of 10. Next up is Wolverine number 313. Wow, this was terrible. 4 out of 10. I'm surprised they even went that high. The artwork, I really don't like Simone Bianchi's art. It's over-rendered. It just doesn't work for me uh, at all. It's got this weird palette to it, color palette I don't like. I hated, hated, hated the idea that suddenly um, they're throwing in either new false memories or... New memories that Wolverine didn't know, and I hate that because that doesn't make any sense. The whole point of House of M is that Wolverine remembers everything. And then to try and throw in some more mystery, because this stupid Romulus character that I really don't know if anyone actually gives a damn about, uh, not good. Uh, the this, I, this And it felt very inconclusive, because we already know Sabertooth's already back. Uh, this just felt like a useless, useless, stupid issue. This whole comic is dumb. And I don't, I don't like him in, in Remus being together in some weird romantic relationship that feels very inappropriate, unnecessary, and just stupid. I don't like even the idea of having a cloak and dagger hanging out on the beach. That doesn't make any sense at all. I don't know why. This just doesn't feel right to their characters. I don't like how this ends with this stupid cheesecake shot. First of all, apparently Remus's hair like uh, Medusa, because that's how long it is. And she's just jumping, she's just jumping up with the you know, just scantily clad, holding on this uh, to Wolverine, and he's just holding her up, and they're making out in the water. And Jeff Loeb's probably like, "Yeah, that's hot. This is awesome." And Simone Bianchi's like, "All right, whatever. Uh, this is just awful." Jeff Loeb needs to stop writing comics like this. He used to be an amazing writer, and you know when that was when he had Tim Sale to to, to just say, "You know what? That's too fucking crazy. Let's tone it down a few notches." Uh, Ed McGinnis and Jim Lee, they kind of let him. I mean, Jim Lee, I feel like. Jeff Loeb was not going as crazy as he could have when he wrote Hush, but when he wrote everything, everything that he was doing with Red Hulk, it was just like, hey, McGinnis, you want to you wanna have Red Hulk punch uh, Hulk, uh, watch him in the face? Sure, why not? Let's just do this. Because McGinnis is like, I'll just draw big, fun things, whatever you want me to write, uh, to illustrate. And just, Jeff Loeb used to have a better sense of storytelling, and he does, doesn't seem to have that anymore. Not like when he did stuff with Tim Sale, and I feel like that's because Tim Sale talked him down and said, no, that's, that's, that's batshit crazy. Let's do this. And Tim Sale has a great style, and it worked. But I just, this was awful. Uh, four out of ten, and I think I'm being generous. 
Uh, I did not enjoy this in the least. Next up is Wolverine and the X-Men number 17. This was a major letdown after last issue. It wasn't terrible. I gave it a 6 out of 10. But last issue was so strong. And then this issue it's on dupe. And I don't care about dupe at all. I don't... Mike Alred is not one of my favorite artists either. I don't really think he's all that great. Although he had an interesting... Uh, he brings an interesting perspective and uh, style to this issue. But... I don't know. It was written all right, but I just I don't care about Dupe and the idea that he's secretly doing all this stuff and he's even teaming up with uh, Howard the Duck and uh, I just don't I didn't enjoy this all that much. Um, yeah, it's it's a Dupe story. You have to like Dupe, and if you don't like Dupe, this is not for you. And it's supposed to basically show like he's actually doing a lot at the school that people don't realize. And I like issues like that that kind of peel the onion they kind of like this is what's really been going on when you didn't realize it uh and jason aaron does a good job at writing that it's just it's he focuses on a character that i couldn't care less about uh the artwork i like our style but not really here i liked him more when he did that daredevil issue recently so i just it didn't quite jive with me six out of ten next up was x-men legacy 274 originally was going to give this one a seven out of ten i feel like i have to downgrade that to a six out of ten because some of the character beats just still don't quite feel appropriate um this is the second last issue of x-men legacy before it gets restarted as guess what x-men legacy yeah why is it happening no idea i don't think anyone knows uh this issue felt very i guess it takes place after avengers versus x-men uh rogues back on earth christmas gauge writing david balion on art uh it's basically a rogue and magneto story it was kind of a quiet story about them trying to save some uh, some people that were in this wreckage. And then uh, there's one man that they may not be able to save without killing him. And he's just sad he wasn't able to tell someone who meant a lot to him just how much they meant to him. And then he kind of dies. And this idea of... I, I guess Magneto and Rogue having a relationship just feels really something that I didn't want them ever going back to. It felt like a very much product of the late 80s. And then they, they started resurfacing this idea. I It felt really creepy because Magneto is old. He's quite an old man. And it was always creepy, but now it was just kind of that, that quirky storyline from the 80s. And then bringing it back didn't work for me. If it had been Joseph, a younger version of Magneto, I would have been had less of a problem with. But here it just felt icky. Um, and like they, they have a kiss. And it's basically the idea that like, they have to go their own way. And... Uh, it's not really going to happen. And, eh, a whole issue for this. Uh, the, them saving lives was interesting and having not being able to just run in with all their powers. They had to be a little bit more careful. That I liked. But the more relationship moments between the two, I felt this just didn't work for me. It didn't feel as genuine for those characters. So I, that I was not a huge fan of. So wow, that is every issue I've actually ended up uh, being able to read and give a rating on this week. Uh, that, there's a ton of books I didn't get to, which include I Vampire number zero, Space Punisher number three, uh, Phantom Lady number two, Voodoo number zero, Ultimate Comics Ultimates. It's the most ridiculous title ever. Uh, number sixteen, Extreme X Men number four, National Comics Rose and Thorn number one, Hit Girl number three. Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number zero. Red Lantern, number zero. Fury Max, number six. Before Watchmen, Ozymandias, number three. Captain Marvel, number four. Captain America and Black Widow, number 637. Cap uh, Savage Hawkman, number zero. And X-Men, 36. Yes, that's a lot of books I didn't get to, but there's over 20 books that I did get to. It was a huge week. Um, looking forward to the end of uh, Avengers vs. X-Men, seeing what that really will end up being. Uh, 
being, uh, what that will mean in the next episode. Uh, sorry, not the next episode, our next reviews episode. Uh, the next reviews episode will be episode 15. Hopefully that will be uh, showing up right around, I guess, October 6th, uh, 5th or 6th, hopefully. Um, stay tuned. Uh, we have the next episode after this one, episode 14, will be a Heroclix Talk episode. Episode 16, which will be coming probably around the 8th or 9th of October, um, will be an episode looking at uh, the top, uh, sorry, our f- mine and uh, my guest Nathan Struck's uh, favorite Heroclix dials from the last 10 years. Uh, so make sure you stick with us for that. That'll be episode 16. Uh, and then episode 17 will be uh, showing up, I believe, around October 12th or 13th. And that'll be looking at uh, the comic reviews for that week. And then the following episode after that will be a nice big AVX uh, wrap up podcast with my guest. Uh, Paul Scores, as we'll be looking at the entirety of AVX, all the tie-ins, what, we, what was our general impression of it all, now that, now that at that point it will be over. Plus we'll also be looking at AVX Consequences number 1, which comes out October 10th, and we'll also be looking at uh, Uncanny Avengers, sorry, yeah, Uncanny Avengers, which also comes out on the 10th. Uh, so make sure to stay uh, tuned for, and look around for those episodes as they come become available. Uh, as always, if you want to send uh, an email for any questions or just general comments for the podcast, you can do so at comicshenanigans at uh, gmail.com. We're also on Facebook now, so you can like us on Facebook and uh, you can post there as well any questions, concerns, or just general comments that you want to give uh, to either myself or any of the guests I've had on the show in the past. Uh, uh, the guests that we've had so far have been my, my wife, Kelly Chapman, who was who did the pilot with me. Uh, also, Nathan Strzok, who's done the Heroclix episodes, as well as the uh, he's been a guest uh, on the Top 5 Spider-Man and X-Men Storyline podcast. Also, uh, Amber Strzok, who joined us on the uh, Spider-Man podcast. And also... Uh, Paul Scores, who has mentioned, will be doing the upcoming AVX wrap-up uh, podcast. He also was on the Top 5 Spider-Man and X-Men storyline podcast, as well as on uh, Episode 2, which was a Comic Talk episode. Thanks again for listening to uh, Episode 13 of Comic Shenanigans, and I hope that you will join us next time.